This is a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast featuring glimpses of Kansas history from documents in the Library and Archives collections. Written accounts of abolitionist John Brown's role in territorial Kansas history tend to focus on his religious fanaticism and violent acts. A casual student of history can easily conclude that Brown was a self-serving, ruthless opportunist who exploited the chaos in Kansas to gain personal recognition and financial support from prominent Eastern sympathizers. In fact, Brown's own words reveal a more enigmatic character and show a genuine dedication to the free state cause. In October 1855, John Brown arrived at Brownville, his son's encampment near present-day Osawatomie. They, with their wives and children, had preceded him to Kansas. He found them all struggling to survive and wrote this letter to his wife and family back east describing the conditions there. The Mr. Adair, he mentions, is Samuel, husband of his half-sister Florella, who were the subjects of an earlier podcast. We reached the place where the boys are located one week ago. We found all more or less sick or feeble. All at Brownville appear now to be mending. All sick or feeble here at Mr. Adair's. Ague and chill fevers seem to be very general. We had between us all 60 cents in cash when we arrived. We found our folks in the most uncomfortable situation, with no houses to shelter one of them, no hay or corn fodder of any account secured. Shivering over their little fires, all exposed to the dreadfully cutting winds and stormy days, morning and evening. We have been trying to help them all in our power and hope to get them more comfortable soon. Mr. Adair's folks would be quite comfortable if they were well. I notice in your letter your trouble about the means of having the house made more comfortable for winter, and I fondly hope you have been relieved on that score before now. Write me all about your situation, for if disappointed, I shall make every effort to relieve you in some other way. Try to be cheerful and always hope in God, who will not leave nor forsake them that trust in Him. Try to comfort and encourage each other all you can. You are all very dear to me, and I humbly trust we may be kept and spared to meet again on earth. May God in His infinite mercy bless and save you all. Your loving and affectionate father, John Brown. Soon after the Battle of Osawatomie, Brown wrote his wife on September 7, 1856, about the condition of each family member who had participated in the fighting. Sadly, his letter revealed to her the brutal and untimely death of his youngest son, Frederick, during the battle. I have one moment to write you to say that I am yet alive, that Jason and family were well yesterday, and John and family I hear are well, though he being a prisoner. On the morning of the 30th of August, an attack was made by the ruffians on Osawatomie, numbering some 400, by whose scouts our dear Frederick was shot dead without warning, he supposing them to be free state men, or as near as we can learn. I was struck by a partly spent grape canister or rifle shot, which bruised me some but did not injure me seriously. I have seen three of four letters from Ruth and one from Watson of July or August, which are all I have seen since June. I was very glad to hear once more from you and hope you will continue to write to some of the friends so that I may hear from you. I am utterly unable to write you for most of the time. May God of our fathers bless and save you all. 
your affectionate husband and father, John Brown. You need not walk alone to face not fear. Each coming new unknown. Brown occasionally visited the East to solicit funds for his Kansas mission, and in the spring of 1857 delivered a speech in Connecticut, enumerating the many personal and financial sacrifices that were being made by free staters in Kansas. The maniac referred to is Brown's oldest son, John Jr., who, together with his brother Jason, was captured by a pro-slavery posse and delivered into federal custody. I saw while in Missouri in the fall of 1855 large numbers on their way to Kansas to vote, and also returning after they had so done. I, together with four of my sons, were called out to help defend Lawrence in the fall of 1855 and traveled most of the way on foot and during a dark night, a distance of 35 miles. We were detained with some 500 others or thereabouts from 5 to 15 days, say an average of 10 days at a cost to each per day of $1.50 as wages, to say nothing of the actual loss and suffering it occasioned. Many of them leaving their families at home sick, their crops not secured, their houses unprepared for winter, and many of them without houses at all. This was the case with myself and all my sons. I saw at that time the body of the murdered barber and was present when his wife and other friends were brought in to see him as he lay in the clothes he had on when killed. No very pleasant sight. I saw the ruins of many free state men's houses at different places in the territory, together with stacks of grain wasted and burning to the amount of, say, $50,000. On or about the May 30th last, two of my sons with several others were imprisoned without other crime than opposition to bogus enactments and most barbarously treated for a time. Here is the chain with which one was confined after the cruelty, suffering and anxiety he underwent and rendered him a maniac. Yes, a maniac! In August last, I was present and saw the mangled and shockingly disfigured body of the murdered Oit of Deerfield, Massachusetts, brought into our camp. I knew him well. John Brown's last visit to Kansas was in January 1859. In October 1859, the nation was stunned by the news of Brown's arrest for his failed attempt to incite a slave rebellion by raiding the Federal Armory at Harper's Ferry, Virginia. Brown was convicted of conspiracy, murder, and treason. He was executed on December 2, 1859. On the day of his death, Brown wrote, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away but with blood. I had, as I now think, vainly flattered myself that without very much bloodshed it might be done. While he was in jail, he had received this letter from Lydia Maria Child, a journalist, abolitionist, and suffragist from Massachusetts. They had never met. In her letter, she likely expressed how many of Brown's supporters felt about his actions at Harper's Ferry. Dear Captain Brown, though personally unknown to you, you will recognize in my name an earnest friend of Kansas. When circumstances made that territory the battleground between the antagonistic principles of slavery and freedom, which politicians so vainly strive to reconcile in the government of the United States. Believing in peace principles, I cannot sympathize with the method you chose to advance the cause of freedom. 
but I honor your generous intentions. I admire your courage, moral and physical. I reverence you for the humanity which tempered your zeal. I sympathize with your cruel bereavements, your sufferings, and your wrongs. Thousands of hearts are throbbing with sympathy as warm as mine. May you be strengthened by the conviction that no honest man ever sheds his blood for freedom in vain, however much he may be mistaken in his efforts. Yours with heartfelt respect, sympathy, and affection, L. Maria Child. Child's letter is hardly an endorsement for an unprincipled, cold-blooded killer. So who was the real John Brown? Historians will continue to argue this question for years to come. This has been a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast. The documents used in this podcast are part of Territorial Kansas Online, a virtual repository of primary sources from the Bleeding Kansas era. The URL for the website is www.territorialkansasonline.org.